architecture is is ultimately a mentorship profession. No matter how much we teach in school, there's a whole other world that you learn in, in, in practice. And it's a world that I really, really enjoy. Welcome to Archonnect Sessions One to One. I'm Amelia Taylor Hochberg, and this week on the podcast, I speak with Los Angeles based architect and educator Tom Wiscombe. In addition to running Tom Wiscombe Architecture, Tom has chaired the BARC program at SciArc for the last 10 years and in 2015 founded the school's liberal arts program. We discuss the evolution of his career through the lens of Southern California, how he prioritizes theory and education and practice, and his dream of a 3D downtown around his ongoing Maine Museum of Los Angeles project. If we can, we can just start from the beginning. You got your BARC from Cal in the early 90s, and then later, after working at Coop Himmelblau for a good stint of, stint, like, of, I believe, five years? That's right. Moved to, went back to school to get an MRC at UCLA. I wanted to know if you could kind of scrounge up that memory of, like, graduating and working, and at what point after working did you decide, this is the time I need to go back to school? What prompted that? So... I graduated from Berkeley in 92, and I knew that I wanted to move down to Los Angeles and that that was where, you know, everything was everything was going down. In architecture, uh, people were building. There were specific offices that I was interested in working for. And so basically, um, before I knew what I was going to do there, I just, I moved down there. And I decided to be aggressive, and I, um, and I went uh, knocking on doors. And so literally. I literally went knocking on doors. <laughs> no one told me that, that maybe that wasn't appropriate. So yeah, um, actually, I sometimes think how my life would be different if this had worked out. But so the first place I went to actually was Frank Gehry's office. And they were in the old Santa Monica studio. Mm. And if I remember correctly, they had maybe 25 people there. So it was a totally different animal than it is now. And, um, and they didn't have work. And so then they referred me over to Tom Main's office and and I walked right in. They didn't really have a receptionist. And I just walked into the studio, which was great. And I met a couple of people. And then they referred me over to Wolf Pricks's office. And that's where I landed. And I had a job within like three days of arriving in LA. So, so that was... <laughs> the least exemplary job employment story. Yeah. <laughs> of yeah. All time. And uh, quite frankly, I was I I didn't really know at the time that Wolf had an office in LA. Um, it was a little bit under the radar at the time. Now everyone knows that Wolf, you know, has a foot here in LA. But at the time I didn't really know that. And I, I was a huge fan, so I was really excited about that. And um, especially the open house project was a really important project for me at the time when I was an undergrad. And so I showed up there and, uh, yeah, and I started working and um, we did competitions. And I, I was really lucky to get to know Wolf pretty quickly. He was around a lot at that time. He loves L.A. because it's a kind of freedom when you're coming from Vienna. And so that's, I know, one of the reasons, you know, he came to L.A. The office was established to, to run the open house project, actually. But at the end of the day, the real reason, I think, is that he wanted, you know, he wanted to come out and, and have time in L.A. And, and, and kind of free headspace from Vienna. And so, so he was around a lot and I got to know him. And I was very lucky to work on this, on the Ufa Cinema Palace project, which was a competition in 93. And, uh, and I worked on that with him and others. And, uh, and we won that project. So I ended up executing it with him. And uh, it was in Dresden, a multiplex cinema. And it was really exciting. So what, what were the kind of, were there perceived difficulties or kind of like, because you didn't have this professional degree and you are coming in as like having this maybe more art practice similarity, and clearly you were engaged in that in his style of work and also things mm -hmm. happening with Maine and Gary at the time. But like in terms of just a young student and starting out, 
and working for this firm, I mean, how did you kind of adapt to that? And how did you feel your skills were actually being able to be put to use at that time? I just tried to learn everything I could in as short of time as possible. So, so you know, I would go sort of day by day and just figure out, okay, what do I not know in this situation? How am I going to learn it? And, I, you know, the art practice background was super helpful. I mean, you know, ultimately, you know, my day-to-day work with Wolf is making models, you know, some very, very small models, hundreds of them to very, very, very large models. It was a lot about making models. And so that was that was sort of my already my 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 core, I guess, ability. And so so I could bring that to bear on the work, but but really I was just trying to learn. And you know, when we got to the next step in the pro- in that particular project, you know, I, I had to call in a lot of favors, ask a lot of questions, buy a lot of books, you know, in terms of detailing the project and you know, really, you know, going to the next level on it. So so but I, I feel like I think I was 22 or 23 at the time and, you know, we're doing design development on that thing. And it was, it was really exciting, you know, and I would just stay there day and night until I could figure it out, you know, and ask everyone's help. And I got a lot of help, but I did have to figure a lot of things out on my own. And that was really exciting. And I enjoyed that. And I think it's, you know, it's a way that we all, you know, we always say this, but it's really true. I mean, architecture is, is ultimately a mentorship profession, no matter how much we teach in school, there's a whole other world that you learn in, in, in practice. And it's a world that I really, really enjoy. And so that was exciting, terrifying, <laughs> and all of that. But to come back around to your earlier question, I think, you know, I, I realized after after realizing that project that I, I wanted to get more into architectural theory and get more into discourse. So so I realized that I had to leave the office at that point and go back to school. And so, so I specifically went to UCLA at that point because Sylvia was just taking over. So it was right at the beginning of, of her time there. And Greg Lynn was there and many other people, uh, Tom Main, Bob Solmol, Tony Vidler. I mean, many, many people were there who, uh, who turned out to be a great influence on me as well. And, and so you figured... I've already worked. <laughs> I kind of, I, I realized that I can figure out this mentorship to at least ask the right questions and get to know how to work that way. But it's much harder than, or it seems, sounds like you're saying it was harder to find the access point for theoretical discussions and that sector of the practice. You see, were, that was what you were looking for when you went back to school. Yeah, absolutely. And also knowing in the back of my head that I had to have some distance in order to be able to start to build my own, my own ideas, you know? But yeah, I specifically was looking to get to get back into the discourse. Well, how would you describe the Southern California regional theoretical architecture discourse around like the turn of the millennia? Yeah, okay. This is good. So I just brought this up in my lecture um, on Monday. I gave a lecture at UCLA. Very handy. Yes. And I was trying to think about how to be specific about what it means to be an, alum- an alumni of a particular time period, rather than just, just saying, you know, I'm honored to be here as an alumni, mm. which I was. But... I wanted to be specific. And so, so I realized that that time was, was really important, not just for the school, but for Los Angeles. And so, you know, at that moment, and it's funny, I was just listening to your podcast with Sylvia Layden. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. I don't know when that was, recently. I think. Quite recently, I believe a couple of weeks ago yeah. was, was when we recorded so it. So I, then... I just listened to that this morning before I came over oh, great. here. Yeah. Excellent. And I was like, wow, that's just what I was saying on Monday, which was that, although I would frame it a little, a little differently, but not totally. I mean, I think that at that time, the West Coast really was was really not the center of of let's say American discourse on architecture. It kind of was the East Coast. And, you know, depending on who you spoke to, I suppose, on the <laughs> West or the East Coast. But it but it really was. And I think that, that at that moment, Sylvia and also I would I would have to add to that also Neil Denari, um, who was running Cyark at the time, who's, you know, as well as a practicing architect, he's a public intellectual. 
I think that between what was going on at SciArc at the time and what was going on with, with Sylvia and Greg as well coming in to UCLA was now looking back. I think it triggered a huge shift. And I do believe that it, it, it actually destabilized that um, where, you know, the sort of location of discourse and, uh, and it kind of moved to the West Coast where I think it still primarily uh, is <laughs> at this point. And it's not necessarily important that it's East Coast or West Coast. Obviously, it's global at this point. But, you know, once you get a critical mass of a certain number of people with a certain number of ideas, then, then you do have a, a community. And I think at that point, that community was established. And so that was one thing that I thought was, was, was really important. And then the other thing I mentioned, which was more about Greg in particular, which was that, you know, he was one of my teachers, one of my mm. studio instructors at UCLA. And it was very notable that, that, that we were now in another phase of the digital. It was what I'm calling now like the digital 2.0, which is where, let's say, digital 1.0 was all about the new tools, the possibilities, you know, exploration, fetishization of new techniques and all of this stuff. And then the 2.0 was, start, was starting to drag the computer back into discourse and, and the discipline of architecture. And so when I had Greg as a teacher, he was you know, the blob existed as a concept, but he was, he was really trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to discretize the skin of the blob into panels. He was trying to figure out how to put apertures in the, in the blob. He was trying to figure out how the blob would hit the ground. So he was doing things that, that I think it was, it was a really exciting time. So it wasn't, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're all very important periods, but that, that was the one anyway that I got from him and stuck with me for sure. So I think anyway, the late 90s, I think was, was, a, was a time of a big shift. And I think a kind of rebirth of the, of the Los Angeles scene and this, particularly this, this, this community of, of discourse. So if then you had to make a completely oversimplified statement about how we've gone from that to today, where you've since in 2015, you founded SciArc's liberal arts program, which clearly has a strong bent towards encouraging the establishment of theory as a tenant, as a foundational point of architecture practice and architecture education. You have Grant Harmon involved in a masterclass and some really exciting stuff coming up. Actually, Nicholas in our office is working on an interview with Timothy Morton right now that we're really excited about. Right. So we're also really passionate about bringing these conversations in, not as you know, peripheral or post-rationalized justifications for like crazy student work, but really like to help inspire ideas and inform best practices. So can you tell me just a little bit about, first of all, why you wanted to found the liberal arts program at SciArc? Like, what was the motivation behind that? Right, right. So there are kind of two, it's a, like a two-pronged attack right now, what I'm doing with the, with the BRC program. First, I mean, and I would, I would preface that by saying that, that I think that the five-year vocational model, like the, the classic BRC, I think it's, it's just over. I don't think that that, that that model works any longer where you basically, you teach students enough techniques and basic skills that they can get jobs in large offices or whatever. I just don't think that works any longer. It's just not the right time for it. And Because uh, the, the actual skill set is just too diverse to really... No, no, I the... just, I think that, I think now architects have a different role. And I think that when, when we're good, we're acting as leaders and organizers. And I think that in order to do that, you have to have a whole different set of skills than let's say, you know, lower level skills that allow you to perform and, and fill functions, you know, in, in offices. But... I really want to create students who are who are leaders and who can go out and I don't know interface with you know the city of Los Angeles and make projects that set precedents or you know take on really big issues of investment and, de and development and you know large issues like that and people who can take disciplinary positions and defend them. So the liberal arts bringing that into the school, I mean it was already in the school in the form of general studies which is part of NAV requirements. But really to, to refocus on that as a major initiative, the idea is, is that, first of all, I think that students need to have a college education. 
And we're not a university, you know, where SciArc is an institute. And it's always assumed that if you're an institute that you can only do so much and you can't really act like in a university. But I don't really see why that's the case. And I think that we now are known enough and attractive enough to people even outside of architecture that we can actually put together a really great group of non-architect experts. And then, of course, you have overlap with architects who have, you know, who are on our faculty now and also people who are looking at who are architects, but with other degrees before that, art history, philosophy, other things. So when you put all of that together, basically, you're, you start to just, you know, you start to create students who are, have a wide breadth. They're able to talk about issues of the world that have to do with design, but also that have to do with all the other humanities, you know, and I think that's really, really crucial. You begin to connect these points across the humanities, I think, that can ultimately create more inventive design work as well. And so, you know, obviously we're, we're a design school and that's, that's our primary agenda. But I really think that the work can, can also really improve from, you know, investing in the liberal arts. So, so as you say, the master classes are one thing that we're doing where we bring in somebody like, you know, like Tim Morton, who's coming in about a week. And the students will have access to him in a kind of unprecedented way. He'll be around the school for five days, both doing public lectures, but then, you know, with the students and also interfacing with faculty members in in these masterclass uh, meetings, which are, you know, and the masterclass is only about 20 students. So you get great access to people like him. And, you know, as you say, Graham Harmon did one in uh, in the fall. We're going to be doing one every semester. And, you know, and we're also, you know, building our faculty right now um, and we're kicking off the program in fall of this year. So, you know, I'm hoping that ultimately that that it's not just a sideshow to the architecture, but I really believe in it. And, you know, the way I see it is it's something that needs to have the same, we need to have the same bar for that program as we do for our architecture program. And ultimately, the way, in my brain, the way, to, the, the way to best make that happen is to imagine that at any moment it could actually be sliced off the school, mm. spin off and become a liberal arts school. So that's the way that we're approaching it. So who besides, I mean, I can see why Tim Morton having certain ecological themes running through his work and Grant Harmon of object-oriented ontology can, these things can kind of guess or see why they might be fitted into an architectural discourse. But what are some other either explicit people that you want to be or you're kind of seeking out to be a part of the program? Or what are some of the ideas that you would want to have someone bring to the program? Right. Good question. So the most important thing is that the people who we have in, we, we understand that they're not experts in architecture on purpose, but they, I, I think the people I really want to have are people who are, have an interest in architecture so that it's not just ships in the night, but mm. that there's somebody who wants to engage. And Actually, both Graham and Tim, you know, have written about architecture and architects. And so, you know, I sought them out for for that reason above all. And, you know, people who we're inviting in the future, I can't name names yet because we're in the middle of it. But I can tell you that we're lo- that it's going to be, you know, this year was the was the year of, yeah, as you say, of, um, of philosophy. And, you know, Tim is chair of lit over at Rice, actually. So sort of philosophy lit and new models of nature. Next year, you know, we're going to be looking at, um, at uh, contemporary art theory and probably mixing that up with something else maybe related to film is very likely, mm-hmm. maybe even science fiction. So that's sort of what we, have, what we have planned for now. But the big push for now is developing the, the community at the school. So again, it's not people just plugging in, but it's a vibrant community on its own, you know, and I would expect that there will be symposia and things like that related specifically to, um, you know, liberal arts issues. So I want to talk a little bit, too, about your actual work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that was kind of a big moment in the discourse of L.A., specifically L.A. downtown architectural development, um, was, of course, the Broad Museum that opened last year. And I would even go so far as to draw a line between the 
MoCo's new sculpturalism show in, in 2013, up until the opening of and the discourse around the construction and the eventual opening of the Broad, as this kind of talk about what is going to fit into LA's new downtown image. Like, what is that about? And you were involved in the show at MoCA. And I wanted to talk a little bit about, and specifically regarding your design for the old Bank District Museum, and please share as much as you want or can about like what the current status of that project mm-hmm. is. But regarding that project in particular, do you feel like that will be an, another opportunity, much like the Broad was an opportunity to kind of assert this idea of what downtown LA new icons or new image crafting is going to be like? And are you, do you feel like beholden to that or are you just doing what you normally do? <laughs> well, I do have to say I'm, I'm giving a lot more thought to the broader issues of Los Angeles these days. You know, there's been this explosion of, of, for instance, multifamily construction, multifamily residence construction. And I'm starting to to get concerned about the quality of a lot of these projects up and down the Wilshire Corridor, for, for instance, which I hold in very high regard. I mean, our city is, you know, was based on Wilshire Boulevard as a kind of linear connection between the ocean and downtown. And and now that downtown is is operational again, I think I, now I'm also thinking about Wilshire again. And and um, I really believe that Los Angeles is a, is a world city that doesn't know it's a world city. For whatever reason, some things that happen here politically and in terms of development are not at the level that they could be. And all you have to do is, is for two seconds compare, you know, the, the level of development that goes on in cities like London or Tokyo or other places. And I always think like, you know what, we're there. We're for sure there, you know. Tech is moving out of Silicon Valley, moving into LA because of the adaptive reuse ordinance in downtown. You know, downtown is, you know, it's developing, you know, like crazy. And what's missing to me is is a real engagement in downtown in contemporary architecture. And the good news is, is that most of the adaptive reuse has already been done, right? So so a lot of those those old buildings, and it's very exciting what's been done down there, but a lot of it's been done. So, you know, in terms of, you know, adding lofts and, and hotels and all of these things that have been going on, infrastructure, bars, restaurants, all of that. But I think that the next stage really is, is that moment where L.A. realizes that it can do more to contribute to culture. And, and one of those ways that it can do it is through contemporary architecture and obviously through the arts, which brings me to the museum. And this is, it's called the Main Museum of Los Angeles Art. And uh, it's Tom Gilmore's project. It's his brainchild. And he is a longtime supporter of the arts. And uh, he, he actually, he's given a lot of space in downtown, actually, even at ground level to his friends who are artists. And it's very, very nice and supportive of him over time. And, and I think that you know, I don't want to speak for Tom, but he and I have discussed many times the importance of retaining a kind of foothold of, you know, of, of culture and of the arts in downtown right at the moment when it seems like, you know, rents are going through the roof, high-end retail is moving in at every corner. And so so this is a, um, so there is a desire here to kind of retain, you know, a, a bit of culture on this corner at 4th and Main. So the plan is that it's not a collecting museum, that it's an open gallery. Its, its mission is to show the work of Los Angeles artists and maybe artists, international artists who've worked in LA. The director is, um, is Allison Agston, who came from The Hammer, and um, she's working with us now. We're doing it as a kind of team. And yeah, so the, so the project, to come w- way back around, and maybe to your question, is that, you know, the museum is really about interfacing contemporary architecture with the historical core. And, uh, you know, we're in the banking district there, mm. so there are some beautiful old historically preserved buildings. And so, so my approach as an architect is to not go in and just, and just clean everything up. It's to leave some things rough and then go in in an episodic way and add pieces throughout 
kind of the, the basement vaults of these old bank buildings, ground level, mezzanine levels, and then also all the way up to the rooftops of the building. And I find this really exciting because, because no longer is everything happening at ground, at ground level, but you start to imagine a three-dimensional city where things are happening, cultural activities are happening two, three levels down in sub-sub-basements of, of the city, or they're happening up in the sky at multiple levels on rooftops, which is becoming a real reality. Like you can do that now in LA. And so, so I love this idea of LA becoming a kind of, you know, a fully three-dimensional city. I love the idea of overlaying the contemporary on the historical and, and retaining the historical. And that's the architectural mission anyway of the, of the project. So does that mean that the actual image that the museum also presents is one of L.A. contemporary art? Do you feel like that is kind of a major goal of the actual, like the icon that is presented by the museum? Is well, it's a bit of, of a, it is definitely a bit of a non-icon, actually. And I would say that in comparison, maybe to the, you know, to the Broad or to other museums, it's much stealthier. By nature of its site, its site is in fact inside, underneath and on top of existing mm. buildings, of course. It's a little more stealthy. But also it purposely in the design, we've gone, we've gone to some length to give glimpses of the, of the pieces that we're doing and never reveal everything in full. And to give you hints and sort of a sense of familiarity with, with lack of familiarity of elements in the, in the design. And so from street level, you get a hint of a piece of some of the elements coming out over the rooftops, but just a hint. And I, I like this idea that the museum is fully embedded in the in in you know inside of buildings inside of the fabric of the city, and it's not standing there with like a big you know a big billboard uh, advertising itself. Oh yeah, bill, billboards. I, I don't think I've ever seen a billboard for a museum in downtown Los Angeles. Really <laughs> well, they are that. billboards. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I have no problem with icons either. It's just that in this project, it made me think that you know, and we're specifically calling it a museum, not a gallery, right? It's not a gallery. It's going to be it's it's an institution that. We're founding and with a board of directors, you know, but, uh, you know, galleries oftentimes are hidden, you know, inside of existing buildings, but this is going to be a museum that's intersecting a functioning set of commercial buildings. And, uh, and that's, I, I find that, you know, really, really interesting to take on as a, as a project. I'm very excited to see what happens in downtown LA in terms of this thing you're talking about, especially with the Pershing Square redevelopment mm -hmm. and, part of that. and creating more of these nodes for either future development or just actual creating a, a different image of LA, exactly. whatever that is. And listen, I was just addressing a group of developers at an Ur Urban Land Institute conference two nights ago, or last night, no, two nights ago. And I decided I would I would talk to them about all of the holes in downtown LA, um, because I have this sense driving around there a lot, which I do now, of all the street, the street parking, you know, surface, surface parking all over Los Angeles, which is something that you find in a lot of American cities, but in a city like downtown LA, which is which is really you know developing very quickly, it, it's kind of almost getting shocking where you'll have some grand new project and then nothing, you know. So I went through. I I took a Google Earth image and I went through and I, I drew little yellow arrows pointing at each one of these these empty holes, and it's it's shocking. There were thousands of little arrows all over downtown LA. So I see those red, those yellow arrows as you know as as places where now we we can discuss infilling with new architecture. Obviously also coincides with hopefully the more, more removal of cars from downtown or, or putting them, you know, otherwise inside of buildings or underground or things like that. Uh, but it's a time where I think those things are, are starting to coalesce and we can have that discussion. And so so I was really excited by this. I didn't know it before I made it how, much, how many holes there are in, in, in the city. Opportunities. Opportunities, yes. that's right. So given all this talk about opportunities for development and the open spots in downtown LA, I wanted to ask, do you have an opinion of the upcoming ballot measure, the Neighborhood Integrity Initiative that is happening in LA right now to kind of 
put a stop to a lot of the spot zoning that is going on in the city that has allowed for some of this development to happen in recent years. Yeah. Well, I'm basically against this initiative and I don't, I don't fully understand, uh, frankly, how an initiative like that really can exist in a city that is, that is really now coming into its own. I understand, you know, the issue of, of many projects in Los Angeles existing by virtue of the ability of, of architects to, <laughs> to get variances and make changes to zoning. But I also think that that creates the life of the city and the difference that we have across our city, the heterogeneity of the way that our city is, is based a lot on, on the way on, on the way that we're able to negotiate and get projects done. And I think that right now would be the, probably the worst time to sh- start shutting down development. I think we're just at the beginning of the development of downtown LA. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked to hear about this going on. Um, it seems very retrograde to me. And the only good news about it is that there was a similar initiative up in San Francisco and that ultimately, although it seemed like there was public support for it, it ultimately failed. And, um, and I think that if it failed in San Francisco, it's, it, would, it seems very likely that it would fail in Los Angeles. So, yeah. Do you see a kind of regional style emerging in Southern California architecture or is that just too generic of a region to even refer to? Do you think it's more of LA? Just tell me what you think of like, the idea of Southern California regional architecture and where that might be going at this point? I don't think that there is such a thing. Obviously, we all know that practice is, is, is international now, and you have people like, you know, Herzog and Neymaron coming in and building in the Arts District. You have Frank Gehry building in Paris. I mean, you have everybody building everywhere. But I think what I would want to say more about that is I'm, I'm not sure that it, that it needs to have a regional style. What, it, what I think it does need is, is um, what we need to make sure we do is, is maintain uh, very particular cultural buildings and buildings from our history of Los Angeles and that we protect those. And that may sound funny coming from a person who's, you know, so, so interested in contemporary architecture and that's what I do. But at the same time, I think uh, I would be really concerned if we if we started to get rid of our heritage. And so I think that's something that's worth holding on to. And again, you know, you know, intersecting that with contemporary uh, ideas, I think is a really good thing. But I don't really think that we have that we have a regional style. And I guess I'm more interested in in the whole variety of niche interests that there are in architecture right now, um, in different generations too. Mine, ones above me, and and newer ones below me. I'm really interested in the, that huge diversity of ideas right now that are coming out of architects. And I would be scared if they were somehow consolidating into a into a Southern California style. So no, yeah, I don't really think there is one. So to round things off, you've been at SciArc for about ten years now. What do you see the new direction of the school heading in? Is it a new direction? What do you kind of see as like the next future for SciArc? So I think I think this is the time for SciArc to get traction in the world. I think that's the most important thing. We've been working for many, many years on, um, on all kinds of speculative topics. And what I'm really excited about now is the school beginning to seriously engage the city in terms of city planning, in terms of building and safety departments in terms of developers and investors and really start to make a difference in, in our city as well as globally. So I think that's I think that's our mission now. Well, and downtown LA is only going to become more scrutinized and more of a absolute center for Los Angeles and cultural production. So it's very that's exciting right. to know and that the arts Sire, district yeah. and the arts district in particular. So mm-hmm. it's very exciting to know that SciArc is going to be a part of that. So Tom, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking with me today. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for listening to Arcanex Sessions one-to-one with Tom Wiscombe. And special thanks to SciArc for helping coordinate the interview. Danilo Voinov edits the podcast and Matt Skillings composed our music. Myself and Paul Petrunia are the producers of one-to-one. 
New episodes come out every Monday. Make sure to not miss an episode by subscribing to us on iTunes. And if you like the podcast, please consider leaving us a review. You can keep up with podcasting news from Arconnect on Twitter through at ArcSessions or hashtag ArconnectSessions, or you can email us through connect at Arconnect.com. Thanks again for listening to One to One.